Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part three of the evaluation of hematuria. And we left off last time talking about infection, talking about acute pilot nephritis, the importance of outstrated nephrograms, and most of the time when we talk about infection, it's polynephritis. But if the polynephritis is not treated, it can go on to certain sequelae, and one of them is renal abscess. And renal abscesses are uncommon but they do occur. We see them more commonly in certain patients, diabetics, patients who are immunosuppressed are two common groups. Typically what we will see is a low density mass, which at times without a history can look like a cystic renal cell carcinoma. You often see cystic walls with irregular enhancement and thickening. You can see extension and involvement of gerotus fascia. You can see perinephric extension. Abscesses can be unilateral or bilateral, can be single or multiple. Uh, most of the time, they're unilateral in location. I mentioned if I showed you a case like this and I said this is cystic renal cell carcinoma, you would say absolutely. This was a patient with a renal abscess. There's some rim enhancement, but rim enhancement is something we also see with renal cell carcinomas. This patient did not have a mass previously. This patient had fever and we found this lesion present. You also can see extension into the perirenal space with secondary involvement of the left psoas muscle. Extension into the abdominal wall or muscle is not uncommon in patients with renal abscess. The classic one to involve the psoas and iliopsoas is xanthogranulomatous polynephritis, and we'll look at that in a few moments. And you can see in this case the cystic component and rim enhancement. As noted, it can be difficult to distinguish an abscess from a tumor if you had no history. Obviously, typically you have some history. At times you will be confused, but it's something to at least think about in select cases, particularly in older patients or in patients who have other reasons potentially for having infection. Now, another example. Here's a patient who presented with a non-contrast scan, flank pain. We saw what looked like a mass in the left kidney. And sure enough, this looks like a cystic renal cell carcinoma, except the patient was febrile, high fevers, flank pain. And then you did a urine culture and it was positive, And you thought, perhaps, am I overlooking an abscess? This was eventually tissue sampled. This was a renal abscess. So again, you need to be careful. Abscesses can simulate tumors. It's uncommon, but it can occur. Now, I mentioned before extension beyond the kidney, and I mentioned the classic finding is that of xanthogranulomas pyelonephritis. We once wrote an article about this years ago that made the point that patients presented with psoas abscesses. Now, these days, we get imaging so early in the patient's course that it's unusual to see a case like this where a large kidney, cystic spaces, dilated calyces, and extension into the right psoas and into the abdominal wall. But as you can see in this case, it does occur. This patient would get a nephrectomy as well as extensive debridement because look at the extent of the abscesses. Now with acute or active xanthogranulomas polynephritis, Typically, it's described with a central dense calcification and dilated calyces filled with pus. And you can see the calyces here. People talk about usually global involvement of the kidney, but it can be focal. In this case, it's almost global, except for a little bit of the upper pole. Here's the article we, we wrote way back when with Stan Goldman, presenting signs and symptoms were pain, frequency, dysuria, 
palpable mass, leukocytosis, and fever. Duration of symptoms were usually short, considering the extent of the pathologic process. But again, in the past, this was often undiagnosed till you had this large abscess. So it's fairly uncommon these days to have such findings. But what do you see? Large stacon calculus is classic, but not necessary. Extensive inflammatory process, decreased renal function, often no renal function. The kidney is enlarged. There's severe hydronephrosis with calcial dilatation, in part due to that central stone. And again, extension into the extra-renal space, including psoas involvement, is not uncommon. When you speak about xanthogranulomatous pyelonephritis, you talk about this chronic destructive granulomatous process, which results from a typical incomplete immune response to a subacute bacterial infection. I mentioned diabetes is common, is more common in females, classically pyuria, positive cultures, and occasionally hematuria. In this article, we spoke about the extension beyond the capsule into the perirenal space. And again, we do see it these days, but it's less common. And so in this case, where you see the large, poorly functioning kidney, dilated calyces, enlargement of the kidney, and there is very nicely the extension into the psoas muscle and into the paraspinal muscles, which is also well seen as you look at the coronal view. Now, when we speak about infection of the kidney, let's look at some of the things, some of those buzzwords. So I talked about abscesses, then I mentioned xanthogranulomas polynephritis. Let's go with another one, emphysematous polynephritis. Very classic appearance, a destroyed kidney with air in the kidney. Emphysematous polynephritis is rare, but not that rare. We do see it more common in debilitated patients. It's a life-threatening necrotizing infection characterized by gas formation within or surrounding the kidneys. 90% of patients have poorly controlled diabetes. And when it's not a diabetic patient, it's usually someone who's severely immunosuppressed. Most commonly, it's E. coli, but can be due to Klebsiella or Proteus. In terms of diagnosis, CT is the study of choice. Typical things, the kidney can be large. You see air within the calyces, air within the kidney, fluid in and around the kidney, air fluid levels typically in the kidney, and tissue necrosis. Patients with emphysematous polynephritis have a high morbidity and high mortality rate. These patients will often go to surgery. Now, one of the other things in terms of potential pitfalls when I speak about hematuria would be a case like this. I love this case because it shows several things. One, the dangers of a non-contrast CT. Non-contrast CT, I don't see a whole lot here, even in the coronal view. But look what happened in this patient with hematuria. Non-contrast, we give IV contrast. Look at that large AV malformation sitting by the right renal hilum that eventually was embolized, but you can see how easy it is to miss what is a very obvious lesion and yes, on the coronals, in retrospect, could we have seen something? Perhaps. But look how easy it would be to miss that. A very good example. And here we're showing you very nicely the uh, MIP imaging showing that same lesion. A case like this, a renal AV malformation, are pretty rare. They can be acquired or congenital. Acquired ones are rare, less than 5%. 
hematuria is the major and most common clinical presentation. So it's very important when you're thinking about hematuria, again, we think about tumor, we think about infection, but these vascular processes can also cause hematuria. It's very important to think about this because if you did not give IV contrast, like the last patient, they thought it was stone disease but had good hematuria, so they gave IV. It's critical to giving IV contrast. And this article does make the point that because they're uncommon, perhaps it's because they're underestimated in frequency because most patients are asymptomatic. So look at this case. When you look quickly at this non-contrast scan, you see fullness in both renal pelvises, but also look at the size of the renal vein. Does that bother you? Should you do something? Well, let me show you the excretory phase. Renal veins are big, but there's no clot. But there's something appears to be in the pelvis of both kidneys, which you see on the coronal view as well. On the left side, it almost looks like the equivalent of parapelvic cysts, but it's soft tissue density. But if you, instead of looking at late phase imaging, had arterial phase, look at that appearance. Arterial phase imaging, AV shunting. Look at the size of the patient's renal veins and look how early they opacify. This is a patient with AV fistulae. Look at the size of the renal vein, particularly on the left. Look how early it fills in and how it extends into the renal pelvises bilaterally. So you can see a very obvious diagnosis can be very difficult unless you have the right phases and unless you've thought about this etiology. As long as I'm showing you the renal veins, let's speak a little bit about renal veins. We talk about renal vein thrombosis as also a cause of hematuria. Classically, it's part of things like the nephrotic syndrome, but we can see it with hypercoagulability states, polycythemia vera, extension of IVC or ovarian vein thrombosis, as well as trauma. And of course, renal vein thrombosis is something we look for in patients who have renal cell carcinoma as it extends and can obstruct the renal vein. Classic CT findings, you see the thrombus in the vein. Usually it's not occlusive. Kidneys, particularly early, can be larged. You may see prolonged cortical medullary differentiation, stranding around the kidney, and in the perinephric fat is seen. And here's a nice example of a patient with a prior right nephrectomy, now has near occlusive thrombus in the left renal vein, but you can see through collaterals the patient's kidney is functioning reasonably well. So again, uh, we like to think about total occlusion, but that's not always going to be the case. Now, when you speak about the vascular supply to the kidney, looking at things like renal vein thrombosis, we should also look at things like renal infarction. Renal infarcts we're seeing more commonly now because of some of its causes, trauma, okay, embolism from the heart or from catheters, sickle cell disease, various vasculitis, and acute renal vein thrombosis, which is extremely rare. With renal infarcts, it can be segmental or global. Most commonly, it's segmental in extent. It can be part of an isolated process or a multi-system disease involvement. Acute and chronic renal infarction can occur, and you can have both of them. And symptoms can range from flank pain to hematuria to FUO, so it can overlap with infection or with tumor. In terms of CT findings, again, the key thing is global versus focal involvement. 
usually due to arterial occlusion, its sudden and onset can be unilateral or bilateral depending on what the process is. There's a thing called a cortical rim sign when you have global infarction and through the capsular vessels you see enhancement around the rim of the kidney. And chronic renal infarction can result in the patient having a small kidney. Now, often if you do non-contrast CT, particularly in early phase, you will see nothing. So here's a good example. Can you imagine this is a non-contrast scan? You see the decreased area of attenuation in the right kidney. You see the entire right kidney shows poor cortical measure of differentiation. And here, very nicely, you can see it again. And as you look closer, you actually see an infarct in the kidney, but also the thrombus in the patient's right renal artery. So you can see it's very important to look carefully, very easy to recognize the thrombus as nicely shown at the patient's arrow. Or in this example, where there's nearly a global infarction of the patient's left kidney due to embolization, just a very pretty image of that process. And this other example with significant thrombus uh, in the renal artery and um, multiple renal arteries, and you can see that may explain why the patient has some areas of enhancement and some areas of infarction. Now, uh, it's interesting where do infarcts come from. Emboli can come off catheters, but also a case like this. We were evaluating this patient for chest pain. You can see the aberrant right coronary off the left cusp. You also can see a clot in the patient's left atrium. And that's not an uncommon cause of embolization. Clots in the patient's atrial appendage, typically. So here's a nice example of a patient with a dissection and what you can see is a large infarct in the patient's left kidney. Patients who've had uh, vascular surgery, at times like this case, the patient's left renal artery had to be sacrificed. They felt that perhaps it would remain patent. It didn't, and there's the patient's left kidney. It's just a sac which would need to be removed. There's really no enhancement present, maybe a touch of flow from the capsular vessels. And this whole area about infarction, just beautiful examples of a global infarct with peripheral enhancement that indeed is something very important to recognize. Now, when we speak about hematuria, let me just end with one other thing that we need to be thinking about. You need to think about the bladder. Now, sometimes the bladder is plus 10 in abnormality. Emphyseminous cystitis, there's air in the bladder wall. Again, these patients like emphyseminous polynephritis are typically diabetic. Uh, it's a rare clinical entity, but it's important to recognize. We are using more aggressive, conservative approaches recently, but it can be very difficult. You can see here, look at the air within the bladder wall, or in this case, again, most likely it's infection. Once in a while, we've seen it from procedure, but when you see it, you have to act on it. Another example here with the air in the the uh, bladder wall, or in this case where there's a Foley in place, there's air and bubbles, and this patient would need to be seriously evaluated. Perhaps you can um, clear some of the infection without doing surgery, but surgery is always going to be on the table because these patients can go south very, very quickly, and here's one more example. Now, with hematuria, we always also think about tumors. Bladder cancer is not uncommon, particularly in an older population. Masses may not be subtle, like this large 
uh, mass near the left UV junction, which was a bladder cancer, which is shown both on the early phase and late phase imaging. And you can see in a more classic fashion, it really does look mass-like. We talk about bladder cancer as minimal wall enhancement, but also it can occur at the uracal remnant and grow upward into the rectus muscle. You can see in this aggressive case here, the interior bladder wall with tumor extension being nicely shown. And you can see it very nicely on the sagittal view, so-called invasion up the patient's urachus. And again, here's just one more view of a similar patient with a left-sided bladder lesion. And I show you this case and this case to make the point that bladder cancer is often very subtle. You're looking for hematuria. You've got to scan through the pelvis arterial because there may only be a subtle bright blush that you recognize there. And that may be the only way you can know it's a uh, bladder cancer. Now, sometimes you can see active bleeding, though that's very rare. Here's a really nice example of a jet effect for active bleeding. Uh, now, that's pretty rare. I typically do not see that in the bladder. You can see this case, the patient was bleeding extensively. Look at the size of the clot in the patient's bladder. Now, if you do see high density in the bladder like this, you should assume that's hematuria. Again, it could be anything from a benign process to a malignancy from kidneys to ureter to bladder, so it needs to be worked up. Again, a very nice example of that finding. You also can see in this example, the patient has blood clots. Blood clots can simulate tumor. It can be somewhat tricky in that regard. Let me just end, since we look at the pelvis, Things like the prostate, we think about prostate cancer, but you want to look at the prostate. Every once in a while, I see a prostate abscess, and that's the cause of the patient's symptoms and surely the cause of their pain. So concluding then, I just gave you a three-part presentation on hematuria. Hematuria and flank pain are common ER presentations. The age of patient and clinical history may be helpful in defining optimal scan protocols. Limited phase imaging in the ER setting is a challenge, and when you really want to evaluate patients' hematuria, multi-phase imaging is required. And it's important to have good communication between the ER doc and the radiologist in order to expedite things and make their process a lot simpler. And with that, I'll stop there, and thank you very much for your attention. See you later. Bye.